Sounds pretty good, guys. <laughs> Who are you talking to? My people. <laughs> the Page people who did almost perfect. Well, my people are out here. Hi. And we just want you to tell your people, welcome to our planet. Thank you. <laughs> you are kind of getting carried away, though. You know, we're limited to just one hour. <laughs> that was just a second. Yeah. We have fun on my planet. Yeah, you make it fun on our planet, too. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some big news today, headlines. Yeah. The new social, mm. emotional high school course was finished filming today, right? Yeah. Bravo. Social high school class right there. Yeah, I was thinking we could show a few clips. Oh, but no. No, I said no. It's not quite edited, is it? We better edit it and first. And they better not show those. <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's great. It's going to be great, and it'll be out very soon. Now we're starting on the new middle school course, right? That's right. Yes, and so it is yeah. very exciting. So, you know, uh, social emotional education is so that you learn to be a very well-adjusted social mm -hmm. emotional person, how to get along with people, you know, how to live a wonderful life. And that's what I go through here each week. <laughs> and some of you remember last week I was really struggling with this new. <laughs> because there was a documentary about Thomas Edison and I was enjoying it and all of a sudden she said, you need to learn how to do that. And you know, Thomas Edison mentored Bill Lear. Bill Lear mentored me. So if he did something, then I need to learn it, right? Well, it, it's, it's about mentoring lineage. It and is. so I need to learn this because I, w I was mentored indirectly by Thomas Edison. And some of you are being mentored by me, so you all need to learn this too. I said you could do that. So you need that. to work on it. Yeah. So you need to do that. So last time I did, you know, for for just first week I did fair, and I realized some of you a little disappointed didn't come out a little better. Uh huh. So um, I've been perfecting it this week and being, you know, an inventioneer. Oh no. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think some of you would appreciate this more, though, if you had a chance to see the Thomas Edison wink. Yeah. This is what she's talking. Would you like to see it? I told you I was going to show you. All right, here it is. Thomas Edison winking. Did you see it? <laughs> Doesn't that get you? It just. Get... <laughs> but I learned. I learned I like that mine wasn't up to grade yet. <laughs> and so I got one of those nice mirrors, and I practiced and practiced, and that's why I'm better this week. <laughs> but then I turned to technology. Oh, yeah? Yep. That's what inventioners and do, And here right? it is. <laughs> what on earth The do electric you have? winker. <laughs> Check it out. <clears throat> Now see this button? What is when this? When I push this button. <laughs> oh, no. Take it off. Let's see it again. <laughs> you want to try this? You're 
No this is a you? big tease. Is big, <laughs> big bad tease. Oh, stop. <laughs> Can we go to commercial? <laughs> okay, guys, it really didn't do that. <laughs> but anyway. Right? Yeah, it, it is, it is kind of neat, though, because I love it. some that. people are very, very successful at some things. Thomas Edison was a master inventor. They, they say he was the inventor of the century, and his invention was more than just inventing. A lot of people had made different kinds of different light bulbs, but nothing ever came of it. Thomas Edison said, I am going to free one square mile of New York City from darkness. That's good. And a little bulb wasn't enough. He had to have a bulb, and then he had to have a generating plant, power plant, and then he had to have wires. You know, he had a hard time convincing New York to let him dig up all the streets to bury wires, but he did it, and he succeeded. But it was a whole system, and that's what inventioneering is. It's not just a little invention, it's making an invention really work to really change the world. And so that's something we need to work on. Do you disagree? I, Are you sure you don't want to try this? Okay. I like the subtle <clears throat> get you look. Okay, huh? I, think, I think I can do the subtle. <laughs> We're going to have to call. <laughs> I'm under a We're lot of pressure. We're still working on it. We're still working on it. I think it's great. So we've got other things we need to discuss. I'm ready. Okay. You want to move on to something else for a minute? I do. Okay. I have a whiteboard here. And I've got a couple things that I really need to update you on. Okay. Some of you have seen these drones. They have four little fans, and, and they fly, and they're kind of neat. Drones are cool. Well, I have uh, a lot of excitement whenever I think about powering things by hydrogen. Now, John kind of tried to steal my thunder, and he put two hydrogen atoms in every water molecule. I'm going to put three. <laughs> Oh. That wouldn't work, would it? But you know, uh, hydrogen fuel is really the perfect fuel because when you burn hydrogen, the byproduct isn't smoke, it isn't stink, it isn't smell, it's pure water. Just think of that. The exhaust is just pure water, and that's one thing that is not pollution. So hydrogen really is the perfect fuel. And I have been working on uh, hydrogen cars since I was doing the science fair in high school a few years ago. Well, the, the biggest problem that we've had in really getting hydrogens going and being really popular is the storage of the hydrogen on board the car. And hydrogen is a hard gas to store. When I was doing my cars, not in, in in my high school project, I converted the Model A Ford to run on hydrogen, and I used compressed gas cylinders, cylinders that were 2,000 pounds per square inch. I had two of them in the back of the Model A pickup, and it wouldn't go very far. But later, after I uh, 
had the opportunity of graduating from the university, I developed a storage tank where I'd react the hydrogen with a metal and form a white powder called a metal hydride, and, and then I could go a lot farther. But the hydride tanks were heavy. And when I say heavy, I mean they were really heavy, like a typical tank in, in a car would be 600 to 1,200 pounds, and that's an awful lot for a car. It, it actually wastes energy trying to accelerate all of that, that mass. And so the, the goal was to come up with a way of storing the hydrogen in a powder that would have at least a four weight percent. And weight percent is a way we measure hydrogen storage. And, and what it means is if you have a four weight percent, that means a tank that weighs 100 pounds will store four pounds of hydrogen. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but hydrogen's very light. A four weight percent would give me the ability to just push hydrogen cars out everywhere. And that's the only big problem we had left was storing the hydrogen. And hydrides are very safe, so it was kind of a perfect thing. The best hydride we were able to find in the laboratory was iron titanium with a little bit of manganese, and it had a 1.6 weight percent. So we weren't even half of what I figured we needed to be able to really make this be a commercial project and to really take off. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to tell you that in the last month, I think I have a major breakthrough. Wow. And now I can make a hydrogen storage tank. I haven't done it yet. It's, it's still theory. It's still on paper, but I'm pretty confident in it. I can make a hydrogen tank that'll make a car with a very light tank be able to go thousands of miles without refueling. In wow. fact, I can make it so that a car could be light enough that you can make it fly. No way. Yeah, and to prove that, I uh, want to build uh -huh. a flying <laughs> hydrogen car. Remember we were talking about uh, a car that would be a three-wheeler? We uh -huh. talked about this last year. And the car, and I've got a little board here so I can show you. It's going to have three wheels, one here, one here, and a wheel in the back. And, of course, driver sits here in the middle, or maybe you have two people in the car. And being a three-wheeler had some, some advantages. Well, now that I uh, am able to make such a light storage of hydrogen, I actually think I'd make this little car be able to fly. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be really so fun. fun. And so what I plan to do, the, the fans they put on a drone are kind of neat, but if you put the fan inside a pod, it's more efficient. So let's just say if I took a fan, look at that beautiful fan. It's like infinity. If you took a fan and you put it on a drone, that'd be neat. But what I want to do is I want to build a pod so it looks like a jet engine with the fan inside like that. And on this interface between the outside air and the fan, it's more efficient if you have it. This, this is called a ducted fan. And that's what I want to use on this car. One nice thing about these ducted fans, they're more efficient and they're quieter, but you can also turn them to get direct propulsion and go much faster. 
So I'm thinking I put one ducted fan up here and put two out like this from the back, and with three of them, you'd be able to control the direction you want to go. And I think we need to build a prototype. So what do you mean by, oh, I agree. Before I <laughs> what do I mean by you agree? I mean, that would be I meant a miracle. Say, <laughs> what I meant to say is that is awesome, and I think we are going to do that. We have to. And what do you mean by a ducted fan? Ducted fan mm -hmm. means there's a duct here with a fan going through. So if, if you've seen a jet on a jet engine, mm -hmm. there's like these pods. Inside, there's a fan. Mm -hmm. But instead of just having the fan out there like on a drone, it's inside the duct, and it makes it more efficient. And that's how I intend to do it. Also, there's a, a recent development of a joint venture between a Boeing and NASA that makes these engines even quieter, which I think is going to be kind of neat. Nice fans. So that's coming. So Ryan, we need to get this drawn. He started drawn us up some sketches of what we'd build. We're going to have to make this out of something very light, like carbon fibers, and uh, it'll, it'll be fun to see what we can do. So stay tuned for that. That's not what we're going to talk about today. One of your students but I just to have to tell you, because this is something that I have worked on for so many years. It's really exciting. And finally, there it was. And I had one of the ha <gasps> moments. And it's I'm really excited exciting, about it. Yeah. Yeah, I just really waited for that. So where does the water go when it goes out the back or it goes out the front? Or so one of your students The water, when, when you uh, convert hydrogen into electricity using the fuel cell, mm -hmm. you bring air through, it combines with the hydrogen, forms water, the water comes out as water vapor. Did you know that uh, when you drive a car on gasoline, that part of the exhaust is water vapor? because hydrocarbon fuels are made out of carbon and hydrogen. The carbon reacts with air and forms CO2, maybe a little CO, carbon monoxide, but the hydrogen in the fuel forms water. So there is some water vapor coming out of a regular engine, and when it comes out, you don't see it because it's, it's hot, so it's vapor, but it's pretty neat. And so stay tuned for that. It's really I will keep you posted on that as we go. And we got that all erased. You're really going to do so we it, got aren't a clean you? Safe. Oh, I just, I waited for this for such a long time. But now I need to talk to you about something that is more up to date. I've been getting a lot of questions lately about, so what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say that I'm a trout fisherman guide, <laughs> but I'm not. So I won't say that. But what I do is I make gold keys. There it is, a little tiny gold key. This is a device that you plug into a computer, and when you plug it into the computer, it allows you to encrypt data to secure everything you're doing on the computer. And I, I think it's kind of a, a revolutionary technology. This is something I've been working on for a few years, and I want to show you some of that. There, you can see a little better now, I think. There it is. There's the gold key. This is a keychain. This is the key that I've been manufacturing for, for a few years. Um, I'd like for the, the people uh, attending today to be able to understand what gold key is and how it works, because it's kind of a 
kind of a neat thing. And I think it's going to be really important. I have brought a, uh, <clears throat> a box of gold keys. And there's a professional key and a master key and a grandmaster key. And this is all part of a hierarchy that I think is going to change the way we secure things in the Internet. Uh, it is really hard to be able to set up a, a communication between, say, a cell phone and a server or between two computers. And the reason that it's hard to set it up is because one is over there and the other computer's over here. And in order for them to be able to encrypt it, it's easy to encrypt data, a picture, a document. You can encrypt it, scramble it, so that you hide it. But when it gets to the other side, it doesn't do any good unless the person can unscramble it so they can see the picture or they can read the document. And this, this art of scrambling is called encryption. And descrambling is called decryption. Well, if you have a secret code that the sender knows and the receiver knows, then you can do it real well. The problem is a person that has a cell phone is going to be connecting with many, many servers, many, many other cell phones. And you, you don't know when you manufacture the phone who's going to be communicating, so you can't share the same secret. And gold key is a way of sharing that secret. And I, I want to kind of explain it a little bit because I think it's big. Okay. It already's been big. So let's say that you've got one computer over here with a gold key. And this is a gold key. And you've got another computer over here. And this user has a gold key too. And in between is the internet, and what you want to do is you want to be able to send a very uh, high-resolution photograph across here. But on the internet, you have all these people trying to look at your data, trying to see what you're sending, and you want to keep it private. Uh, maybe it's some new invention, and you don't want anyone to know what it is, but you need this person to build it for you, so you want to send it across here. Well, if you have a secret code you can use that code to scramble the data, and as long as the person on the other side knows the secret code, they're able to descramble it. One way to do that is to create a secret, secret code, just a big random number, and then put it in a briefcase, and then put on your gym shoes or your sneakers, and get on an airplane and sneak over where this person is and hand it to them. And if you're willing to do that, it works pretty good. It takes a little time. But what if there was a way that you can make a secret new code here and somehow the person over here can know it, but only the person that you want to communicate with? That would be pretty amazing. And the way we do it with Gold Key is a thing called B-squared cryptography. B squared. Now, this is where we reveal the most secret secrets. <laughs> Some of you wonder, what is B squared? Yeah, what is it? It's code. It's a secret code. Mm -hmm. 
B stands for Billings. Okay. And B squared means two Billingses. And I am one, and Dr. John's the other. And we are the co-inventors of this technology, and we're very proud of it. Like a okay. <laughs> but the way the B squared works is this gold key that this one, this first person has. We we ought to create the person. There he is, and and we have a person over here. This gold key is entangled with this gold key. And entangled is a very interesting word. It, it kind of comes from quantum physics because certain particles that are created together are entangled. And what that means is whatever you do to that particle happens to the other one at the same time, even if they're a long ways apart. And you say, well, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, that's what a lot of physicists would like to talk about. How does that work? When they told Einstein about this entanglement, Einstein says, for you to do something to this one and it impacts the other one, he says, that would be spooky action at a distance. And he had a hard time. Oh, this poor guy needs arms. Okay. <laughs> he had a hard time getting on board. There's so much data that supports this. And Einstein said something that I really agree with. He said it's, it's spooky action at a distance because we don't really understand what's happening with quantum entanglement. And he says when we understand it, then it'll all make sense. And we don't. But even though we don't understand it, we studied a lot about it, and we're able to do a lot of things because of what we've observed. B-squared entanglement is not based on quantum physics. It's based on a whole new thing. And what I can tell you is that every gold key token has the ability to become entangled so that even though there's, there's no secret in here that's also in any other key, they have the ability of being able to know a common secret when they're doing a session. And that gives them the ability of securely communicating. What does it mean? Well, what it means is that if you use a gold key, you're able to sign into a Cellus, you're able to sign into any website in the world securely. And that would really stop a lot of the problems we're having with security breaches around the world. And I think that's coming. So in the world that I envision in my, my mind with Gold Key, someday everybody will have a Gold Key, and there's different varieties. There's some that are in credit cards, there's some that are in cell phones, a lot of different ways. But whenever you go to sign in somewhere, instead of signing in with a username and password, which is not a very secure way to do it, you'll be able to sign in with Gold Key. And it'll make your connection much safer and much more secure. And I, I'm excited because this Gold Key technology is, is really starting to take off. And I think it's going to be a really, really big deal. Now, this Gold Key, one I'm, I'm showing here, there it is, yeah. This one is the one we've been making for a few years, and it's a stainless steel case with a little circuit board inside, 
And we actually make these right here in Missouri in uh, the Gold Key Company. Gold Key Company is actually called Cyber Security Corporation. And in case anyone has forgotten where that is, I'll show you a picture or a little video of Cyber Security Corporation, the home of Gold Key. There it is. Can you see that building there? That is the Gold Key building. It's 10 stories tall. There's the Gold Key up there on top. And oh, there we are. There we are. Yeah, up there on the 10th story of that building is where my office is. Uh -huh. And I can look out one window over the Kansas City Airport, which is beautiful. I look out the other window and see downtown Kansas City. So it has quite a view. But that is the world headquarters of Gold Key. Now, the keys themselves are manufactured not far from that building in another building where we actually manufacture the gold keys. And I want to show you little video clip of the gold key manufacturing process. These are robotic pick and place machines that put these very, very small parts on a circuit board. This is a circuit board for 24 gold keys. And it sticks all the parts on and then we cut them apart to make the individual gold keys. First we print solder paste on and then it helps hold the parts in place until we run it through the oven to melt the solder and solder the parts on. These are the parts that come on rolls, and these parts are smaller than a grain of rice. We have a lot of parts that we need to get on there. And so as it goes into each machine, it puts some of the parts on, and then it, it hands off automatically from one machine to the next to the next until it gets down to the end where it goes through the oven that heats it up and melts the solder and solders all the parts on automatically. And now after we put them in cases, these are the little gold keys. This machine actually puts epoxy in to glue the components inside and make them secure. And here we are testing the gold keys putting keychains on, getting ready, and we ship these all over the world. And these are some of the other products we manufacture at Gold Key, including networking equipment, servers, etc. And you notice your Sella stuff, all these Sella servers are built by uh, Gold Key Company. The Gold the Sella tablets, the Gold Book computers, they all come from Cybersecurity Corporation. So what do you think? Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And there's some white boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to put these in the white boxes and we're going to ship them. There they come. Okay. That, that should be enough of that. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea. Now, this old design has been around, like I say, for years. So we're now working on a new design. I'm going to just put this on here so that maybe you can see that. Here's, here's the old one, and there's the new one. Now, the new one is 3D printed. So we have a 3D printer, and the 3D printer we have is the kind that can print actually really hard metals. In this case, this is a titanium 
alumide or a titanium alloy that's very, very strong, can take very high temperatures, and it will protect your gold key. I want to show you a picture of the uh, 3D printer that Gold Key uses. There it is. This is a, a very interesting machine. I don't, uh, in fact, I want to show you a couple different pictures. Let's flip through these. So they're actually printed inside of a vacuum. And we can print thousands of these in one batch. And these, these Gold Keys, this happens to be a USB-C variety key, but it it makes us have the capability of making the key more secure, harder, harder to tamper with, harder to break through, so we can raise the level of security of these tokens. Uh, 3D printing is something that a lot of you are experiencing where you print, print plastic or something of that sort. This machine actually prints really durable metals, and it does so by rolling a powder across the layer, and then it uses an arc, which is a big spark, to melt the powder in places where you want it to stick, and then you roll another layer and you build it up. And it's, it's a pretty amazing, interesting technology, which I think is very interesting. Do they learn that at the academy? When they... uh, actually, uh, this 3D printing technology uh, is a brand new technology. It's the most advanced 3D printing technology in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very, very expensive machine, almost $2 million for one printer, oh. but it is the absolute cutting edge. And uh, this is something that uh, students have an opportunity to train on and work on while wow. they're at IST. Uh, and also, the, the machines that are printing the, the parts onto the circuit boards, making the circuit boards. In the video I just showed you, the, uh, the machines that are putting the parts on the circuit boards mm -hmm. uh, are last year's model. Those, those machines are about 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And we just got brand new ones that are much faster. And the parts are so small that it puts on there it's hard to even see them. Wow. So we just upgraded the whole uh, manufacturing line to newer and better stuff. And I think when you're, when you're learning technologies like this, you want to know about the old stuff, I guess, but it's the new stuff <laughs> that really is exciting. They're so much better, so much faster, so much more capable. And that's things we're trying to do. Now, I brought some, some samples of um, neat looking. of things wow. that, that we printed on this 3D printer. This, uh, if, if you just hold that, feel how light that is. Oh, goodness. This is made out of this titanium alumide, and it's a very, very light material. This is a little pyramid it's really made light. out of it. But the one I really like is this little cube. Uh -huh. Can you see this cube? I can. The cube is one continuous strand of metal that was 3D printed. So if I start opening it up here, you oh, can see great. that it's actually, you can stretch all apart. There's one strand that goes all the way through there, and when you let go of it, it wants to spring back together in this little cube. That's and here neat. it's kind of brittle. You can actually print a turbine blade for a jet engine out of this material with this printer and 
and it's so strong it'll work. So you need to use these kinds of technologies if you want to be on the cutting edge. We also plan to use this particular 3D printer to print the new hydrogen fuel cells for this little hydrogen car that's going to it's just exciting. fly. So. A lot of people, they say, you're going to make a hydrogen car that stores the hydrogen safely, uh -huh. and, uh, and you're going to make it fly. Uh -huh. Huh. Unlikely. That's what they said I don't about think, the first hydrogen car. I don't think they'll ever do it. Isn't that what yeah. they said? You can't when, do it? When <laughs> I started working on the first hydrogen car, I started with a lawnmower engine. Uh -huh. And I had to mow lawns for my neighbor all summer to be able to get the lawnmower because I needed a lawnmower I could tear apart and experiment on. And they had an old lawnmower, and they said if I'd mow the lawn all summer, they'd give me this old lawnmower. So I got it. When I got the lawnmower, I tried to convert it to hydrogen. I tried a lot of different things, and it would not run at all. It just absolutely wouldn't run. And the science fair came and went, and uh, my project didn't work, so I couldn't enter it in the science fair. But the next year, when I was a senior in high school, I decided this is the year for the hydrogen engine. And since I couldn't figure out how to make it work, uh, I was excited when I heard that the Academy of Arts and Sciences was going to pay a college professor to help students with the science fair. And what you had to do to get to get this award, you had to enter a contest and write up a paper of what you wanted to research. And they'd pick the winners, and they would hire a college professor to spend an afternoon with you teaching you how to do your project. And I won. And so I, uh, I got an afternoon with a mechanical engineering professor at the university. And the night before, I was so excited I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I was just so excited. This is going to be just amazing. So I went to my, my interview the next day, and I told him, I want to run an engine on hydrogen, and, and I've tried, and it won't work, and it won't work, and it won't work. And this gentleman, uh, who later became a very good friend of mine, went over to his shelf and pulled a book up. And the book was a, an old book about internal combustion engines. Internal combustion is a you know, regular gasoline engine. And the book had been written clear back in the early days of combustion engines by a guy named Lucke, L-U-C-K-E. And uh, he opened it up the chapter, he knew the book well, and then he read to me, for every 10% hydrogen added to a fuel of an internal combustion engine, you must lower the compression ratio by one. Now, do you know what that meant to me? Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> and I said, what does it mean? He says, well, an engine has a compression ratio. Like a regular gasoline engine in those days was about 10 to 1. Now it's lower for emissions reasons. But he said, every time you take 10% of the gasoline out and replace it with hydrogen, you have to lower the compression ratio by one. So you start out at 10 to 1, you go to 9 to 1, 8 to 1, you have to keep lowering the compression ratio on how you design the engine. He says, in other words, you cannot run a hydrogen, uh, an engine on pure hydrogen. It's impossible. Hmm. And I said, why? He says it right here. 
it, it won't work. It just doesn't work. The engineering doesn't work. And I, I went home so dejected, just Cause you know devastated. Would. No, because I wanted it to. I, I'd worked on this. I was determined. And so I put my project away and tried to think of something else to do. And eventually, um, I did the experiment that turned out to be a big breakthrough for me. I had the engine, which is a little lawnmower engine, one cylinder, and I put it on a wooden box, bolted it down, and then I got a big electric motor, and I bolted it onto the same box, and I hooked a fan belt up, it's just a rubber belt between the two, so when I turned the electricity on the motor, it started turning, and the fan belt turned the engine. So the engine would turn even without any fuel, and I turned on, and I just let it turn, and then I turn on the hydrogen. And when the hydrogen turned on, it started backfiring. Bam, 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 and all of these ugly noises, and I just <laughs> I've seen that determined look. Yeah, I just you. let it run. <laughs> run, 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 run. <laughs> I, I knew you could do so, it. So <laughs> it, it popped for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, it stopped popping. And it started just purring like a kitten. It sounded like it was running. So I turned the hydrogen up a little bit, and it seemed to run faster. So then I turned off the electricity, and it kept running. And it ran perfectly. But of course, it can't, because the book says you can't run an engine on pure hydrogen. But there it was. So what did you feel inside? Well. Can I show you a little video clip of my mentor, Bill Lear, when he got his steam engine working? Yeah. Okay, take a look at this. This is what I felt. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like hugging anybody. Uh, it, it was so exciting to think it run. And well, it says um, it all right there. I went home, and I, uh, my dad was at work with that night when he got home the next morning at breakfast, I said, I've got a big announcement to make. The hydrogen engine works. I remember at this point, I just barely turned 17. Huh. So I was growing big beards, not really. <laughs> but uh, well, good, you know, good. I thought, good? <laughs> That's amazing. And then I said, so here's the deal. I need to borrow our car because now I want to convert the car to run on hydrogen. I got this Model A engine and I'd like to go to the car. My dad had just bought a brand new Chevrolet car. And it, it would be beautiful, you know, to be on television as the world's first hydrogen car. And my wonderful dad, just a wonderful dad, said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and the good news was he let me use his old car. He had an old Model A pickup truck that he would drive to, to work every day. And he said, you can experiment on this. And so I did. And I took it to school. On the back porch of the chemistry lab, I made a little homemade carburetor, put it on, and, uh, and it ran. Now, the interesting thing, the Model A, for you guys that are engine buffs, 
It's not what you call a real modern engine. It's kind of an old-fashioned one. And uh, engine designers would call it an L-head. It's the shape of the combustion chamber with the valves over the side. An L-head is how they made some of the early engines, but it's exactly how they made the lawnmower engine that I was experimenting on. The lawnmower engine was a Briggs & Stratton engine. Later, by the way, I went through the Briggs & Stratton factory where they made those. Mm. Valves off the side, a big, long head, which quenched the flame. And the Model A was exactly the same kind of engine. But probably no car was still made with an L-head engine because they're not near as efficient as, say, a hemispherical head engine. The new engines, you have the piston, and the valves are right above it. So you don't have that big area there to quench the combustion. They cause more pollution. They're not as efficient. But here's the, here's the surprise. At that point, in my knowledge of hydrogen, I could not make a, a hemispherical or a hemi engine run on hydrogen. I still had a lot of things to learn first. The only one that I could make run was an L-head. Wow. And I didn't know that. So my dad saved the day <laughs> in his lack of devotion to science. Oh. <laughs> it really did. That's but sweet. the Model A ran on hydrogen. I put a welding tank of hydrogen. Welding is, this, is this like a welding tank they used to do acetylene welding on. It was hydrogen. Put in the back of the truck, ran a line up to the engine, my younger brother would sit in the back of the truck, and it was his job to turn the valve up and down because I didn't have it hooked up to the throttle. So when I wanted to go faster, I'd you know, turn it up, and it would pop sometimes, but we drove all over town, and we were making hydrogen into water so and powering nice. that car. Well, um, isn't it interesting that sometimes we get a break? Mm -hmm. They all had engine. In college, I tried to convert a hemispherical head engine to hydrogen and found out there are a lot of problems with that, and I had to learn how to do it. In order to make a hemispherical head engine, I had to have a way to cool the combustion. And I did that by using water from the exhaust, water that I made, to spray it back in the carburetor, and it would cool the combustion. Then I could do even a modern engine, and it was more efficient. So uh, that's all the time we have to talk about it today. But technology is a, a wonderful, interesting subject. But just having a great idea, or even a great invention, is not enough to change tomorrow. If you're going to change how the world is tomorrow, you have to put together a whole system. And when you put a whole system together, then you're able to commercially launch it and do some of the things we are. Inventioneering is about solving a problem and solving it using the scientific method and technology. And I think inventioneering is, is a good thing that you can apply anywhere in life. Uh, the things that we learn in math give us the power to do things that we could never do otherwise. If you've ever been on an airline 
and enjoyed flying at very high speed across the country to another place, I can tell you with complete confidence that that never could have happened without math. We could have never been able to build a machine that can do the amazing things an airline does without mathematics. And, you know, when you start realizing the power that learning science, learning math, learning engineering give to a student, it makes you really want to do it. So, study hard. Okay. Right. Did you want to try this before we sign off? No, but I saw that wink and you did it. Let's look at Mr. Imagine. Edison one more time. We'll see you next time. There he was. Yeah, that, that was a little shorter than we were hoping for. <laughs> can we try that one more time? Come on, Thomas, you can do better than that. There it is. <laughs> Thank you.